a few years ago, I sat in a class in the George Washington University. It was a political science class, and we were studying the Rwandan genocide. Something fascinated me about the Rwandan genocide. It was the idea that neighbors, those who knew each other, probably had children that played with each other. They had known each other for all these years. And yet when the genocide broke out, it was neighbors against neighbors. It was neighbors that were killing each other. The same thing happened in the Holocaust. Neighbors snitched on other neighbors when they were hiding Jews. Some of these Jews were neighbors to the Germans that sold them out. And the question that stuck in my head was how? How could this happen? How could regular people like you and I get to the point where they sell out their own neighbors, where they go beyond that, where they kill them? The videos were clear. We watched two documentaries in that class, one documentary and one movie. The documentary was The Ghost of Rwanda. The movie was Hotel Rwanda. If you haven't seen Hotel Rwanda, take the time out to watch the movie. It's a very touching movie that makes you question a lot of things about humanity. Watching the killings on TV, because there were reporters that went on the ground and shot the killings as they were taking place. People using machetes to hack each other to death. These were neighbors, those who knew each other. And it always struck me, how? How did this happen? How could one set of neighbors rise against another set of neighbors? These are people that went to school together, went to church together. How could they do this to themselves? That really stuck in my mind. But the juxtaposition with that was there were UN members that were supposed to leave the country. They had been ordered out. Ghanaian soldiers, French soldiers, Belgian soldiers. The Belgians had been retrieved, but I think there were French soldiers remaining. And you had French soldiers that refused to leave. You had Ghanaian soldiers that refused to leave. Senegalese soldiers that refused to leave, even under orders. They stayed there, and a few of them gave their lives. There was a specific surgeon that was mentioned, sergeant that was mentioned in the documentary that saved a lot of Tutsis until he himself got killed. Now, he was Senegalese. He could have left the country anytime, but he chose not to. So in the face of absolute evil, you had you had good, absolute good, intense good, courageous good, bravery that was willing to stand up against evil when he stared it in the face. But these two things were happening at the same time. Same human beings. What happened? What went wrong? How could almost half of a population either stand up or allow others stand up and kill their neighbors? People they knew. By the way, during the same time, President Clinton was was president. He had ordered, or his policy was that American troops were not going to get involved 
and I asked myself about that as well. Why? Why did this happen? And it turns out that he made that policy because years prior, he had deployed American soldiers to Somalia, and Americans had watched on TV their own soldiers get their helicopters get shot down, and their soldiers get dragged in the street. The point is, watching all those things, it it touches you because when you ask the deep questions, how it happened, one of the men that was involved in the Rwandan killings was interviewed in that documentary and he said he, he was normal. He knew many of these people. But when the killing started, it felt like something came over him. And before he knew it, he was running around and killing people like everybody else was. You see, the thing about human beings is that we are fallible. When something is popular, when there is energy surrounding something, we are prone to enter into it, to do it, especially when there will be no repercussions for our personal actions. But part of it is we're malleable, we're fallible. It doesn't take much to convince someone to do something if you just add the word because behind it. It doesn't matter what the rationale is. As long as there is no counter message to that rationale, we are likely to accept it. And even if there is a counter message, depending on how it's presented, we may accept it or reject it. That's what I see America as. America is in an emotional state where this thing happened. Everyone is in a heightened emotional state. And so whatever is popular is what is done. To an extent, that's justified. The George Floyd killings, the George Floyd killing, excuse me, the George Floyd killing was horrific. People watched on their cell phones live how a police officer knelt on the back of a man, of another man. How the man pled for his life, told him he couldn't breathe. There were other officers standing there, and for all those minutes, those officers behaved nonchalantly, and none of them attempted to help him. Those who were charged to protect his life very casually took it from him. That's what touched the whole world. It doesn't matter who he was before then. It didn't matter the color of his skin. The thing that united the whole world at that moment was watching on their phones, on their computers, watching it as it happened. This wasn't a movie. This was real life. Watching in real life. Another man gets his life snuffed out by the people who were charged, whose duty it was to protect it. And that's why when I heard the Candice Owens, um, when I watched the Candice Owens video, I understood the blowback. It doesn't matter whether what Candice was saying was true or not. Many years ago, my dad taught me that it 
truth matters, but wisdom, the wisdom of knowing when to speak the truth matters as much. There are times when you have the truth on your side, but you remain silent. You allow the people mourn, especially for someone who claims to love the black community as much as she does. If her life is dedicated really to helping the black community, then you must do it from a place of love. She, I'm not sure if she's Christian, but I think she is. If she is, then she would see that half of what Christ did was from a place of love. Now, Christ also took a cane and went into the temple and flogged people out of the temple and threw tables over. Yeah. The wisdom is knowing when to do that and when instead to bend down and wash their feet. When instead to break bread with them. If people don't think that you care about them or that you love them, they will never listen to you. You will reach a few people as you are. But you will reach a lot more people if they feel, first of all, that you care about them, that you're talking to them, not talking at them. This makes all the difference. For that moment, it was their time to mourn. It was the world's time to mourn. It was the world's time to discuss. You may not approve or agree with everything that the world was saying. But for that moment, you allowed them mourn. When they're done mourning, then you can stand up and speak some truth where you see it's going overboard. I expected the same thing from our leaders. There was no way they were going to contain the riots that broke out, the protests that broke out all around the world, even with COVID-19. To tell people to stay in their homes during that period was going to be impossible. The emotion that flowed through the world during that period would be impossible to contain in a house, not without violence going up the roof, both inside the house and outside. Our leaders had no choice. They had to go out there and they had to allow people go out there and protest and show their feelings and show their emotions. Both can be done at the same time, though. They can allow people go out and protest. But they can also draw the line somewhere. When rioters started breaking things and looting people's stores, that was where our leaders were to draw the line. You allow the protests go through. Or you draw the line. You protect the people and you protect their property. It is your duty as elected leaders. That's what you were voted into office to do. You may think about your political future. But if you will lead, lead the people right. And draw the line where the line needs to be drawn. But most leaders didn't draw the line. Neither in local governments nor in federal nor in the federal government. They did not draw the line. Should have used the necessary force to stop people from looting. Some consider it just property. But isn't that what we wake up every morning to do? To create something of our lives. Some of those stores were people's livelihood. Were the fruit of people's labor over so many years. How are they going to rebuild for them, it's not just property. The woman who refused to stay home and said she was going to open her salon because she needed to feed her children. For her, it's not just property. And for many people around the world that watched, it goes beyond that. 
the the look the the look of disorder of lack of leadership was outstanding and those leaders that excused it because they agreed with the ideology that was not leadership you can agree with the ideology but draw the line and allow the people protest but not allow rioting and killings the media added to it as well the media decided to show some stories and not show others you can agree with the people without agreeing with everything they do but there was no leadership anywhere for many weeks and that's why the whole country the whole world feels like it's on fire and there's no leadership everyone panders there's no leader that leads on principle and that's where all of this is going that's where this podcast is going the the idea of principle the idea of principle because we've gotten to a place where there is a racial reckoning there is a racial reckoning i spoke about rwanda in the beginning If you go back to the history of Rwanda you see that there was a time when the Tutsis were in power they were empowered by the Europeans that colonized Rwanda the Tutsis were in power and they abused their power towards the Hutus they were the minority in fact there is some history that says that the distinctions between the Hutus and the Tutsis were created by the Europeans but the Tutsis were the minorities and the Hutus were the majority. If you read the history of Germany, you will see the rationale where they tried to explain or the Nazis tried to explain why they hated the Jews. The Jews they say sold them out. Sold them out and made them lose the First World War. That's why they hated the Jews. Everybody always has a rationale for the things that they do. There's a story I read in many years ago in How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was about a bank robber that he had robbed many banks and terrorized people, killed many people along the way. And when he was finally caught in a shootout with the police after he just robbed the bank his last words were he didn't do anything wrong he just tried to do right by his family or something to that nature but everybody always has a rationale and like i said before we find a way to justify our rationale so now you have the tutsis that had maltreated the hutus before you had the the jews that the germans or many germans claimed were at fault for the loss of World War 1 and the repercussions that came with it you had the rationale so the question is why does the world keep going back and forth this way why does the pendulum always keep swinging when we say never again how come never again is never never again because they said never again after Rwanda but there have been genocides after that and no one does anything about it but more importantly those who themselves committed the genocide what what was going through their mind were they just bigoted 
I restrain from condemning even those who took place, took part in the, the in the genocide. Part of the reason is you do not know your capacity for wrong until you're put in the situation to do it. You don't. Why? Again, because you only need irrational. You need something that justifies it. Once something justifies it, then you can do it. So how do we stop the pendulum from swinging? The only way to do that is to stand on the principle on why that thing is wrong. Why were, were we upset or why were the Hutus upset that the Tutsis maltreated them? It was that based on their tribe, they were treated in a particular way. They were refused from... They were refused access to certain things. Same thing in South Africa. That was what was wrong about apartheid, was that in their own country, these people were refused from certain privileges simply based on the co color of their skin. A perceived superiority or supremacy by one race over another. That is the principle. The principle is that everyone should be judged by the merit of what they do and not by superficial things they have no control over not by the color of their skin. That is the principle. So if we take that principle and apply it to what's going on today, that, that, by the way, stops the pendulum from swinging. That helps you restrain yourself. In the future, when you see things going and your emotion, because again, emotion plays into it. You have to be convinced and your emotion has to go with it. Your emotion pushes you over. And once you have a little rationale, Right, those pulling down statues right now have a little rationale. That's all they need. They need the emotion, the mixture of good emotion or or high emotion, and just enough rationale to justify to themselves why they're tearing down statues. That brings me to another the 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 idea that. A people, a generation, stands in condemnation of those who came before them. But we'll get back to that. Now, the principle is, is what matters. The principle. So therefore, if judging people based on their race is wrong, then judging people based on their race is wrong. It does not matter who you do it or to what race you do it. It doesn't matter what they did to you before then. There are usually ways to rectify that, but judging people based on their race is wrong. Now, here words like caucasity, white privilege, all those words are used not to not to improve dialogue, not even to have any dialogue. They're used to shut down dialogue. They're telling people specifically because of your race, be silent. When there are areas where they say colored people only, you are taking race and using race to judge a people, not merit, just race. If we say that doing that to any other race is wrong, if we would say doing that to black people is wrong, then it is wrong to do it also to white people. It is the principle that counts. The emotion always justifies it until when it goes overboard. It is the principle that counts. If it's wrong, it is wrong. 
And if we say it is right, then we should know what we're accepting. It's the same reason why I am yet to find a good rationale for affirmative action in government. In my law school class, we read many cases that tried to rationalize this and justify it. And I understand the justifications. But the Constitution says that the Constitution gives or enforces equal protection of the law for everyone. By definition, it is not equal protections of the law if one race is given through the federal government, not through private schools, private schools that want to give admissions based on racial merit. That's their problem. But a government that is ruled under the Constitution that says that guarantees equal protections of the law, even the Supreme Court's rationale for this does not hold water. Now, a point they brought up in one of the cases was how about historical racism? Historical racism, segregation, Jim Crow laws, can be rectified the right way. Right? Instead of saying two people walk into a room or two people have their application sent in and based on one's race, you select this one to get into school and not the other. That is simply picking one based on their race. Now, you may argue that many people from this particular particular race are not getting into the school. But think again why we don't want racism is that two people are standing, two indiv individuals. It's the effect it has on the individual that is wrong. That two individuals walk into a room and one skin plays a positive and the other skin plays a negative. That is what is wrong about that situation. So then even if you have a whole class of people who you think you need to give advantage to. Once the once you consider the individuals that get affected, then there's no justification to give one skin merit over another. Now, again, you may say, validly, how about historical racism? Jim Crow laws. we go to where the root of the problem is. If we want more black people, more Hispanic people in universities, if they are not proportionally, pro proportionally represented, then we need to find out where the problem is. Why aren't enough of them passing the ACT or the SATs? Okay, it's due to not enough good schools. So then that's part of the source of the problem, right? And usually there is, even though economists, when I studied economics in the George Washington University, there's this cyclical thinking, especially in development economics, where they say one thing causes another thing and causes another thing. There's always one critical thing that if you change, it changes everything else. There's one domino that if you tip over, it flips everything else down. So if we look at the direct thing we're trying to affect, that's the education of the people, then we go there first. Their schools are not good. Why? Okay, because we have schools according to your neighborhoods, according to your districts. Excuse me.
then we look at other models of education. There are places around the world where there are places around the world where the the federal governments and the state governments run schools too. Where I grew up, we had a local government school, we had a state government school, and we had a bunch of federal schools, including the one I went to, a military school in Nigeria. These three tiers of schools compete with each other. So then if the argument is that if you have certain schools that are not performing well because the neighborhoods are poor, then the federal and the state governments can pour money into new schools or give those vouchers they've been speaking about to move people into better schools. It is justified for them to invest in these places because these are not performing properly. And again, there is a moral requirement for the country to try to fix the errors it made in the beginning. So yes, the country can, without giving merit for, to one over the other based on the color of their skin, invest in these places. Move these kids out of there. There are boarding schools everywhere else around the world. Move those kids out from there and move them to places where they can learn in a safe environment. When it comes to adult education, you can push that further, right? If you need more black people in certain places, like coding, for instance, then both corporations and the federal government can invest in having black people learn coding. You can negotiate access with big companies like Facebook, Twitter. Get more colored coders in there. There are parts of the system where the problem starts, where the root of the problem is that we can affect the system and change it without giving one merit over the other based on the color of their skin. And that's where the problem is. I would argue that looking at those places and those sources would be a far more effective place to fix these problems than what is going on right now. Because then you have to face exactly what's making the student not to pass. If you can fix that by the time the student gets their SATs or ACTs, then they're able to take their exams and pass with pride and go to school with pride and know that they earned their place. They're not there because they're black. They're there because they are smart as the next kid. And that's what you want. You want black people that will walk with their shoulders high, that would walk without an inferiority complex. Not those that would feel that the system has done them a favor. That is what will affect their lives from the source. That's where the source of the problem is. So go find the source of the problem and fix it. Again, private schools can choose to do as they please. If you're not getting federal funding, you can prioritize one over the other. But government school, the government is there to serve everybody and to serve them equally. Not to put one over the other. Not even if the Supreme Court says it's okay. The Constitution, as read, and the rights the Constitution guarantees is that everyone should have a playing field, a level playing field in front of the government. And that's what we should all strive for. Lastly, let me talk a little about white privilege. The first time I heard this word was many years ago, actually. But the first time I heard it live where someone actually said it to me was 
just about two or three years ago, walking down the street with a friend, and she said she could feel the white privilege of another student spewing out of him. And I asked her, what is that white privilege? The word has no meaning. It has no meaning with any consequence. When you tell somebody you have, your, you have white privilege or check your privilege, what does that mean? What does that mean? What are they actually supposed to do? Be quiet, right? You, you can't have experienced this, so be quiet. It doesn't make sense. Another thing I'm going to say is never follow any ideology that tells you to abandon your judgment for anybody else's. God has given you a brain so that you can judge for yourself. You are created with a mind of your own. You have control over your own decisions. Never follow a path or an ideology that tells you to abandon that. Never follow an ideology that tells you to abandon that. Think for yourself. So they tell you you or they tell you you have not experienced what we have. That's true. But what's the value of experience? Let's explore that for a minute. What's the value of experience? Why do we go to people that have done something before us when we want to learn a skill? When you're starting a business, you look for a mentor, someone who has done it before you. You watch courses. You even go to school to learn certain skills. Why is that? The things we read in books are simply experiences of those who came before us, those who've done these things before us. Why? Because from the outside looking in, there are assumptions you make that are wrong. You assume certain things will go in a certain way. When you start the business or you start the the job, you realize that it's not that way, not even if you've gone to school. The value of experience is it gives you additional information that you did not consider before. A part of that information might be emotional. But a lot of it is such that if you explained that to somebody else, they'll learn. That's how we learn things through books. Someone has experienced something. They've learned how to code, how to build something, how to build a business, how to be a good lawyer, how to argue cases. So we read those books to learn the same skills. They pass that through information. Their experience is turned. Their experience is information that is turned into words for us to read and learn from. So really, if somebody has experienced something that I haven't, if I get into a conversation with them trying to understand that thing, they should be able to explain it to me in a way that I would understand, in a way that it makes sense. This means that if I'm speaking to someone, whether they're a PhD holder, in that field or it's simply their life experience they should be able to explain to me something I'm not considering because I haven't experienced the same thing that is valid but after they explain it to me if I'm supposed to act on it it is my duty to ensure that I understand what they've explained to me and I'm acting out of my own moral judgment out of my own understanding of that thing the moment you abandon that part of you, you can never decide when what you're doing is right and when you, what you're doing is wrong because you don't understand the thing in the first place. So if somebody has experienced something, their lived experience, 
it is valid to listen. But after you listen, you judge. And you decide what the next action to take. Part of it is having that judgment allows you to add to the conversation. You know where to go to fix something. You know whether you need to attempt to fix it now. And if, in fact, because you haven't experienced it, you understand it, but you're not in a hurry to fix it. Like I remember in either a book or I watched this somewhere, but when Dr. King was trying to get them to pass the Civil Rights Act, it was in the Selma movie. The president was, oh, we have time. We'll do this next year. We'll do this another time. Why? Well, the president understood the pain. He said it. He said he understood the situation. He understood the the point, the rationale. He understood the logic, but he did not have the emotional drive. So he said, we can do it next time. Now, that's where you that have felt the emotion can charge forward. And you do it with justification because those who understand it with you will charge forward with you when you do. Even if they haven't experienced it. But it is not enough to tell people that they should trust you because you have experienced it. So it is all of our duty to listen. But after we listen, we judge what is right. When I say judge, I'm not referring to judging somebody or rather condemning somebody. But in everyday things we do, we make judgments. Those who went out to protest, we're doing it under a certain judgment. Those who washed people's feet was under a certain judgment that certain things were wrong and needed to be fixed. That's the judgment I mean. I mean, coming to a conclusion based on the reason you hear. So stop listening and put out solutions. And sometimes people wouldn't want to listen to your solution. That's okay too. Find another way to get there. But do not take any action based on anybody else's rationale. Listen and understand for yourself and act. And that's why I don't like the word white privilege. It adds nothing to the conversation. It only shuts it down. We have students in classes who are silent in class because of their white privilege or their male privilege. So they do not speak, even when things do not make sense. We have laws that are not being critiqued because people are afraid they have privilege, so they cannot speak. No, you speak, and when you're wrong, those who have experienced it and have more information than you should be able to explain to you why you're wrong. And if you refuse to listen, then that's on you. But it is your duty to speak up. And think about whatever you hear. And sometimes that just means remaining silent. Remain silent, don't agree or disagree. Just remain silent. Don't shake your head in agreement either way or in disagreement either way. Remain silent and listen. That allows your mind to soak in whatever somebody else is saying and allows you to decide whether it's true or false. It allows you to ask questions in return. But how about this? See, emotion is good when you need it to drive you to do something. But in order to decide what is right to do in the first place you need to calm the emotion down tame yourself and just listen once you listen you're able to ask the questions once you ask questions you're able to know the right thing to do then your emotions can come into drive and that would empower you to do it very strongly and efficiently
but think through every issue first. Start asking questions of people, no matter how popular the opinion is. Lastly, before I go, I have about 10 minutes left here. It is our duty as a generation that comes after another to fix the past wrongs of the generations that came before us. There's a story of one of Noah's children who found his father drunk one evening. And he called the rest of his siblings and laughed at the father. One of the other sons saw the father lying down naked. He got a blanket and covered the father. When the father woke up and he asked what happened, he was told he cursed the son that had laughed at him. Why? Wasn't the father drunk? Wasn't that on him? The actions he took when he was drunk, wasn't that on him? Doesn't he have some responsibility? But why would he curse his son that laughed at him? Any generation that wishes to build on the work that their fathers did must be able to judge the actions of their fathers without condemning them. Again, part of the reason why you don't condemn is because until you're put in a situation, you do not know what you would do. I won't go into specifics, but there was a there was a riot where I came from, a religious riot. And when the riot was going on, I got a phone call. And in the phone call was somebody that was close to me. She was in the middle of this battle going on. There were people getting killed. There was tear gas everywhere. The military was commanding their rovers. Everything was hell and haywire. In that specific moment when I heard her on the phone and I knew what was going on, the passion that left inside of me, the protective nature, was so intense that at that point in time, I understood how someone so mad and crazy out of vengeance could act in certain ways that were not proper. So then our hope is that we learn enough of a moral backbone, of a moral structure. We have enough principles and the ability to, con to control our emotion emotions such that when that day comes, when we're put in that position, that we're able to stand for what is right. But when you realize that you're only human and that everybody else has done everything else that you condemn is but human, once you realize that we're all, all on a different journey towards where we're going, everybody has reached certain places at certain times. We learn certain lessons in our lives at different times. We lose certain things that teach us certain lessons at different times. Then you stop judging people because either they don't know or you don't know. Now, it doesn't mean you don't stand for what is right. You do. You stand for what is right. Where it is necessary, you use force to stop evil when it is taking place. But it means that even when you do that, you do not stand in condemnation, especially of those who came before you. When you tear down the statue of George Washington, remember that it is because of the acts and the words of Washington and Jefferson that you are in a country 
in which you have the right to tear down their statues in the first place. Don't agree with everything they did. You can judge it for yourself and think it's morally improper. But then fix the repercussions and accept the glorious things that they did. The system of government in this country is the same system of government that every other country around the world is using. We fashion our government after the government of the United States. Why? Because somehow it has managed to balance power. It has managed to ensure freedoms for its people. As unequal as things are here in the United States for black Americans, many, many Africans and African countries would give anything to trade places with you. Yes, they suffered colonialism. Colonialism didn't end in Nigeria till 1960. Slavery didn't end in Nigeria till 1937. People were still enslaved within our countries up to that point. We see it. We know the history. But then we fix what is left that is wrong. That is our job as a generation that is worth what our fathers and our mothers have left to us. You don't have to accept everything that they did. You don't even have to agree with it. You may think it morally wrong. You fix what is morally wrong. But the things that they did that were right, you uphold it. You celebrate the 4th of July, Independence Day, when this is being released because a new government was formed that will change the world. Not just the country, but will change the world. You can look at the residue of what is left and try to fix it. And part of it, again, is the times in which they lived is different from the times in which we live. The resources, right now, the resources we're all going after is money, right? You look for a job. You compete with somebody else. You get a job. It's not physical water or land. It's not running away from a tyrannical government, which ironically is the reason why you're not running away from a tyrannical government. It's because you live under a government that's not tyrannical. Many of those who left where they came from to come to the United States did that because they were fleeing tyrannical governments. Today we have the luxury not to. We have many nations around the world that have democratic systems that ensure a certain level of freedoms. That's even evident because you can see that once there is peace and stability for a long period of time, then the economy can grow. A lot of issues in African countries right now is because the political system is messed up. Politics and economics are intertwined. The success in politics is what gives breath to economics. The balance of power is what allows the economy to flourish because you can challenge a local government action in court, a federal government action in court. If the federal government makes a decision, the states can choose otherwise. The balance of power vertically and horizontally allows the economy to flourish. All these systems came from the words of those founding fathers that many countries would give anything to have. Not all people were free. Not even all people could vote at the time. Those things were fixed. And you that have the baton now, it's your job to fix what's left. Fix it and leave a better country for your children. That is now your duty. 
leave a better country for your children. This is now your job. And that is not done by tearing down the statues of those who came before you. You can acknowledge openly that what they did in certain cases were wrong. But at the same time, you cannot stand in condemnation of them. Not when there was slavery all over the world. Again, until you're put in a position where somebody else was. You can judge what they did morally. But you cannot condemn them morally. Because the day you stand in their shoes, then you can choose otherwise. But we have the luxury of not standing in their shoes. I have the luxury of being here today. Because many people along the way that came before me did certain things. Now, I don't support everything they did. And I can call out a lot of things that they did. But the things they did right, we give them credit for. The statues of, of Washington and Jefferson are not up there because they owned slaves. They are up there because they built a nation that has built the world. And the nation didn't do it without their own faults. There are many things, post-colonialism, neo-colonialism, that we can fix. Many things that can only be fixed by we, African countries, and developing countries that the rest of the world cannot do for us. But it's not because they're perfect that their statues are up there. And we will respect them because they've done work that maybe if we were there, we wouldn't have had the courage to do. And if we had the courage to do it well, now we're here, we can use that courage to do something here today. And where you feel that Native Americans and others that were on the land beforehand have still not gotten a good shake, are not getting a fair share, then we fight for the system to change and balance the scales of justice. We don't tilt it to one side or tilt it the other side. We balance the scales of justice. If you have any comments or any thoughts, leave a comment if you're watching this on YouTube again. Or send me an email. The purpose of this is to think through this issue. So if there's anything I've not considered, send me an email. In the next podcast, if there is anything I haven't said here or anything I haven't considered, if I receive any emails, I will talk about it before I start the the next podcast. From the list I've made, it's likely going to be on the Supreme Court. So if you're into legal stuff, then subscribe for that. Or I'll put clips out for those who might be interested in certain parts of it. But it's going to be on the Supreme Court and the balance of power or the intent behind the Supreme Court and where it's, it's at right now. Thanks a lot for listening and for watching. I'll see you guys next week. This is, again, a six-week series, so this is episode one. We're going to do this for six weeks, and then we're going to take a break until the fall. Thanks again for watching and listening. See you guys next week. Bye.